Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's pretty shocking because it's so close. Um, and I guess we don't have a lot of murders in Vancouver. Victims identified what we know about the two women murdered in a vehicle in a quiet Vancouver neighborhood. Plus... Chasing away any workers at the uh, active work site. The key piece of evidence police are focusing on from the coastal gaslink site after Thursday's brutal attack. And... Changes that we will make to strengthen our defenses while we continue the fight against climate change. A year-round wildfire service. What to expect ahead of BC's budget day and what it means for promises like $10 a day childcare. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. We begin with breaking news. A massive fire has broken out at a restaurant in Squamish. Flames engulfing a building on Tantalus Road between Garibaldi Way and Diamond Road late this afternoon. Residents say they can smell smoke from across the community. Several reports suggest the fire is at the Wigan Pier restaurant. The district of Squamish is urging residents to avoid this area while firefighters tackle the blaze. No confirmation yet on any possible injuries or what may have caused this fire. Now to new information on the double homicide that has shocked an upscale Vancouver neighborhood. Ramina Dea has the latest on the investigation into the targeted killing of two women in Point Grey. What was the motive? The victim's former nanny in disbelief. She tells us Shu Min Wu was a mother and businesswoman, meticulous and kind. Uh, I can confirm that they were both shot to death inside a vehicle. Wu 50, and another woman, Ying Ying Sun, 39, discovered dead in a white BMW beside Wu's $7 million home in West Point Grey. A neighbor out for a walk found the victims Sunday morning. Based on the information that we have, we believe that uh, they were targeted killings. The former nanny tells us she used to care for Wu's daughter. She never met the husband. ERT officers with high-powered rifles surrounded the house Sunday, believing there may have been more victims inside. But there was none. This is a very quiet neighborhood, so uh, not what we expect. But it was a strange sound, but we thought it was fireworks. So, yeah, I was shocked, and it's not what happens around here. Was the killer captured on one of multiple surveillance cameras at the victim's home? We don't know. No one has been arrested. Romina Dea, Global News. Delta police are investigating a possible sexual assault in a popular park this weekend. Police say the incident happened between 9.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. Saturday in Diefenbaker Park. The suspect allegedly attempted to pull the victim towards a vehicle, but the victim was able to escape. The suspect is a white male between 30 and 40 years old. He's 5 foot 11 with a medium build, facial hair, and was last seen wearing a black hoodie, black sweatpants, and black shoes. He was driving a black sedan with another male passenger. Anyone with more information is asked to call Delta Police. 
Cleanup is underway following a messy crash on one of Vancouver's busiest arteries. A white Range Rover was involved in a collision on Granville Street near 47th Avenue at around 5 this morning. Granville was shut down between 47th and 49th for several hours, but has since reopened. The front fence of one property was partially destroyed in the crash, and one resident says his vehicle parked on the other side of the fence was damaged as well. Police say alcohol and drugs have not been ruled out. You have a, a brick post, cemented post. So when the, the car hit the post and all the bricks were, were flying all over the place, so it hit the car. I'm just cleaning the driveway so we can go out. So far, Vancouver police have not ruled out alcohol and drugs as potential factors. RCMP in northern B.C. say they still have not identified any suspects in the terrifying attack last week on Coastal GasLink's pipeline employees and a worksite near Houston. And they're also not linking it to previous protests. As Amadagahi reports, they do have one key piece of evidence. The RCMP spent much of the long weekend, including Monday, gathering evidence from what they tell me is a huge area of focus. The alleged attack on the coastal gas link Morris River drill site just outside of Houston happened on Thursday. But the crime scene spans areas along a 60 kilometer stretch of logging road and a huge work site. Work on the 670-kilometer natural gas pipeline at this site has paused while crews on the ground begin to clean up and clear out what has been estimated as more than $6 million worth of damage to equipment and infrastructure. Coastal GasLink says nine of its workers were attacked by a group of 20 people who wore camouflage and masks as they broke into the drill site, hijacking the company's heavy equipment to cause much of this damage. This was in the middle of the night. This is a co coordinated effort um, by multiple people and raiding uh, this platform and uh, assaulting and uh, um, chasing away any workers at the uh, active work site. The workers fled to safety and the company says they're unhurt but shaken. This has uh, clearly been hit with an axe. You can see on the tailgate. Three security trucks, including this one, were also damaged by the alleged attackers. Here you can see he's inches away from the driver's arm who mm -hmm. was in the driver's seat. Police continue to say they have no evidence connecting this incident to previous demonstrations and blockades by those in opposition of the pipeline project, but did mention that this incident is being investigated as a criminal act and not a breach of injunction, which has previously been enforced with arrests in the area. The project says it has approval from the Wet'suwet'en elected band council, but previously hereditary leaders in this First Nation have opposed its construction. And back to the investigation now, and a critical piece of evidence that does exist is surveillance video. The RCMP tell me uh, they are reviewing that video first before they come up with a strategy on whether they will release it to the public, and it will depend if it helps their investigation. Amada Gahi, Global News in the village of Witset. Well, tomorrow is Budget Day here in B.C. The provincial NDP government is laying out its plan for our province's financial books. But just what are we expecting them to spend on? Richard Zussman has a preview.
The COVID-19 pandemic took its toll on BC's economy, but now on the verge of a bounce back. Well, BC economies rebounded with most of the Western uh, world economies more quickly than the BC budget projected. So we now expect as much as a $2.3 billion surplus this year if you roll in the $4 billion. The key to any provincial budget, what does it mean to you? On Tuesday, Finance Minister Selena Robinson will outline budget 2022 and new spending based on a quicker-than-expected economic recovery. Rolling up their sleeves to get vaccinated, all of these things that British Columbians have done have helped uh, move us forward. The provincial books were rosy pre-pandemic, a $227 million surplus in 2020, but dragged down due to COVID, catering to a $9.7 billion deficit in 2021 and clawing back to a projected $4.8 billion financial hole in September. Now, an expectation the sacrifices we have all made will have a benefit. At what point do the public actually be able to see, um, you know, as you say, those sacrifices uh, being returned back to them and an acknowledgement and, and a ratcheting down of some of their 25 taxes? Some businesses closed during the pandemic haven't been able to reopen. Others pivoted dramatically to survive. All of this has a cost that businesses hope government will cover. They're going to be looking for um, staff that can do multiple things. And we have to start reskilling. And for those business owners who pivoted to a different type of business, there's going to be reskilling needed there as well. On top of the pandemic, BC also grappling with the financial and personal implication of climate change. And while there's no commitment to expand the River Forecast Centre, the budget will fund moving the BC Wildfire Service to a year-long venture. It's an example of the kind of changes we need to make, the kind of changes, changes that we will make to strengthen our defences while we continue the fight against climate change. And for more, Richard Zussman is joining us now live from Victoria. So, Richard, considering the cost of living continues to climb, will there be any tax breaks or support British Columbians can look forward to? That is the big question everyone has, Neethu. And other than the B.C. wildfire centre news, the province has been tight-lipped on what to expect in the budget. But historically, this government has not given tax breaks. Instead, they've had targeted programs like getting rid of the tolls on the Portman Bridge or that COVID-19 recovery. But the big question is, how fast has the economy bounced back and by how much? If there's a lots of money available, there likely will be some targeted programs directed towards those most in need. In terms of everyone in the province getting a break, though, that's something I wouldn't expect to see when Selena Robinson reads her speech here at the legislature tomorrow afternoon at 1.30. All right, Richard, wishing you a restful evening ahead of a busy budget day tomorrow. Thanks so much. <laughs> Well, advocates for a number of changes will be watching Tuesday's budget speech carefully to see if the NDP government follows through on some key election promises to make life more affordable for thousands of families. Kylie Stanton has that part of the story. When the signs go up, so do anxiety levels. The majority of parents in B.C. now reporting housing as their greatest source of stress. They're less likely to be concerned about financial matters or family matters or issues related to work, which is a big change from where we were two years ago when those were the issues that were more likely to make them worry. Now it's housing more than anything else. Housing affordability is just one of several budget promises unfulfilled in this last year. Instead, experts say things have only gone from bad to worse. 
According to a new poll out of Research Co., 58% of parents say they're experiencing housing-related stress, such as finding a place to live or paying mortgage or rent frequently or occasionally. That's up seven points from last year. And it's no longer exclusive to those who live in the Lower Mainland. 71% of parents in southern BC and 66% in northern BC say they are losing sleep over the issue. It's incredibly unaffordable. But for those who aren't in the market and renting, things aren't much better. While the NDP did keep its promise to freeze rents through 2021, the $400 rebate plan has yet to get off the ground. There's been years of talks and this has just come to the point that we just need action. It's clear the pandemic threw a curveball, becoming a priority. The promises that were fulfilled included providing free COVID-19 vaccines and a one-time COVID recovery benefit. The NDP also fulfilled the promise to make public transit free for children 12 and under. Shine and they shine and they shine. And while there has been some movement on the $10 a day daycare pledge, with only 2,500 of the 12,500 promised spaces created, advocates say there's still a very long way to go. This is the year 2022 when we expect to see more spaces, more affordable spaces and investing in the ECE workforce. Now another budget means another year to make new promises but with so many on the books still hanging in the balance the pressure is mounting for British Columbians and politicians alike. It really needs to have those deliverables that people are looking for. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, the latest on a key vote in Ottawa. What the motion means for the never-before-used Emergency Act in response to the convoy blockades in the nation's capital. That's next on the NewsHour. A generational shift, how more people are choosing to travel in bigger groups these days and why later. And shrinking the stimuli, the program helping to make hockey more accessible for fans with autism and sensory needs. Right now, though, the House of Commons has passed a motion to approve the extraordinary and temporary measures in the Emergencies Act, which Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invoked last week in a bid to end blockades in Ottawa and at several border crossings. Global's David Aiken has the latest, including why it's not quite a done deal just yet. Opponents of the decision to invoke the Federal Emergencies Act had been saying all along it was never needed. Conservative and Bloc Québécois MPs pointed to the fact that border blockades were cleared without the Federal Emergencies Act. And now that the Ottawa occupation has been cleared and the capital's downtown secured, they renewed their objections to the Prime Minister's decision to invoke the Emergencies Act. So using the tactic of a schoolyard bully, he has decided to implement the Emergencies Act so that he can control, manipulate, dictate. It's the equivalent of awakening the Kraken a legislative leviathan that should only be broken when in the most dire of situations. I don't believe that the government has met the test. But the Prime Minister insisted it was still necessary, noting that many of the Parliament Hill trucks are now camped nearby, ready to return. Indeed, this video shot by Global News Monday afternoon at a farm about halfway between Montreal and Ottawa, there were about 125 vehicles, many of which had been on Parliament Hill these last few weeks, and they're now camped about 100 kilometres from Ottawa on a private farm across from a truck stop supplying them with fuel, food and supplies. When the situation is still of people pre-positioning, people uh, being out there indicating that they are ready uh, to blockade, to continue their illegal occupations, to disrupt Canadians' lives, 
Um, we feel that this measure needs to remain in place. It's a minority government, of course, so the Liberals looked to the New Democrats to support them on this issue. And that's how the vote played out. Liberals in the NDP voted to confirm the Emergencies Act. Conservatives in the BQ voted against. But that's not the end. The Senate begins debate Tuesday on the very same issue and is expected to vote later this week. If the vote fails there, then that's it. The powers in the Emergencies Act would be immediately revoked. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Anti-mandate protesters targeting NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's office in Burnaby this afternoon. Posters covering the windows of Singh's constituency office. They accuse the leader of being a puppet of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The NDP is supporting the government's invocation of the Emergencies Act to deal with the occupation of downtown Ottawa and several border blockades, as you just heard. As many as 20 protesters waving Canadian flags and carrying signs demanding freedom. That has become the rallying cry for those opposed to COVID-19 mandates. It's been a troubling few weeks of protests, but today a counter-demonstration here at home. A gratitude rally is underway at Jackpool Plaza. And that's where we find our Krista Dow. Krista, what is the message and what do organizers want to reach? Well, Nithu, the message here has been one of gratitude and support. And that's really what we've been hearing for the past hour here at Jackpool Plaza. Uh, organizers tell us this rally is really for anyone who's had to sacrifice so much over the past two years, but also stepped it up to keep their community safe. Now, uh, organizers tell us this message here is to support nurses and frontline workers and grocery store clerks and, and folks who just had to work from home to limit the spread of the virus. This rally is for them. And folks we spoke to say it's also to take back the Canadian flag and the symbol and show support for the greater community and the collective group who they say, despite the anti-mandate protesters, silently sacrifice so much for their neighbors. And they want everyone who's follow the health measures and listen to the science to know that there is a whole community behind them and this rally is for them. So I think one of the things we know from um, the last few convoys here is that they're very loud. Um, they take up space. Healthcare workers have really been, they're exhausted and they're fraught with the sound and the noise. And so we thought, how can we do something that is a little quieter, a little kinder, a little gentler, but still says, we care, you're important, we value you. That wasn't pots and pants. Now, Nithu, uh, the rally has, of course, thinned out, but uh, over the past hour and a half, there were dozens of people here just carrying signs that say uh, healthcare uh, workers matter and vaccines work. And this is just really to, to send the message, to amplify the voices that the community here in Vancouver and for British Columbians, that they care and they support everything they do and to try to quell some of the, the louder noises that we've been hearing over the past few weeks. So this rally is really to bring back about a calm and a sense of unity. And I'm sure that message is greatly appreciated. That is our Krista Dow live for tonight. Thanks, Krista. Well, it was a very busy first weekend for BC bars and nightclubs under newly eased restrictions, but the industry is still facing some challenges. Jeff Ginyard of the Alliance of Beverage Licensees of BC says establishments were jam-packed with capacity limits lifted in those settings. But he says staff had trouble enforcing the mask mandate as patrons are now allowed to dance and mingle with others. And staffing issues still linger with the industry around 20,000 workers short of what it would have usually had.
in the before times, before all this happened, we had about 190,000 people working in the industry. We're the fourth largest private sector employer. 20,000 people missing is a, a big gap in that. So yeah, the staff that are out there right now are probably tired and overworked and they're doing their absolute best. So you know, please be kind to them if things take a bit longer. All right, coming up, scammers strike again. Why would somebody tell me to scratch these off? And she goes, you didn't. The warning from an Okanagan woman scammed out of hundreds of dollars she won't be getting back. And exiting the extreme weather efforts to help the unhoused with unusually cold temperatures coming to Metro Vancouver. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. An Arctic outflow will mean freezing temperatures across the lower mainland and it comes with severe winds creating a wind chill factor. That makes for some dangerous conditions for those who live on the streets. As Grace Key reports, communities are gearing up to provide a warm place for shelter. At Ruth and Naomi's mission in Chilliwack, a warm emergency bed is ready for those in need. The next few nights are expected to be freezing, with wind chill temperatures dipping below minus 10 to 15 degrees. They're able to offer an additional 15 beds under the emergency weather response program with the province. When we first started opening this up in January, every night was filled. So, I mean, there is the need is there. Um, because our pathways ends up being filled, and then we also fill this. Salvation Army, I'm sure, are also filled with Cyrus Center. So, I mean, the need is there. I mean, unfortunately, some of the people don't like to go into shelters, but when it's extreme cold, they will go into places like this. Ruth and Naomi's is one of the many organizations that partners with BC Housing to set up emergency weather shelters. The province supports about 740 temporary spaces and 320 emergency weather response spaces across Metro Vancouver. In Vancouver, six locations offer 107 emergency spots plus an additional seven for youth. The City of Vancouver also funds warming centres that offer hot beverages and snacks. They will be open until Tuesday evening. During these difficult cold snaps, police and outreach staff work at getting people to these shelters. I personally think it's extremely dangerous for them. We have one person, older gentleman that is at our Revive Centre and he, the last time that the temperatures went down in early January, I believe it was, and he ended up losing a couple of his toes from frostbite. Hopefully this will be the last cold snap before temperatures start warming up again. Grace Key, Global News. Yeah, brutal conditions. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with more on that cold weather, specifically the timing, Yvonne. Yeah, as early as overnight and leading in towards tomorrow morning. Now this cold Arctic air invades the entire province and moves right across the south coast. And the big takeaway is the wind chills. Overnight and for the early morning hours will be anywhere between minus 10 to minus 15. That extends in towards the Fraser Valley. How Sound will see some of the coldest temperatures along the south coast. And we'll continue to see this even as we get in towards our Wednesday put the wind chill forecast so we'll see some of the temperatures into the minus 20s the winds will pick up we've got these strong outflow winds gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour we'll likely see the cold temperatures continuing into wednesday gradually improving thursday and then friday and into saturday we'll start to see that bump in temperatures but a heads up extreme cold especially for the northeastern corners of the province and i'll have more coming up just in just a moment Nithu? all right thanks so much for that yvonne 
An Oliver woman is now stuck with a $700 bill after falling victim to an online scam. As Global's Taya Fast reports, she's now speaking out to warn others and hopefully prevent this from happening to anyone else. Oliver resident Tracy Brown had just started a new job when she received an email from who she thought was her boss. Saying that I want to reward some really hardworking employees. I would like you to go to the store and pick up seven $100 Amazon cards. She says that she did question why her, but thought it was because she was the newest employee. Brown says the person on the other end of the email insisted she go right away, so she did. I ended up going to London Drugs and got seven $100 Amazon cards, got in my car, said, okay, I'm here, I have them. I don't use gift cards, just so you know. So they were totally, I buy them for my kid, but I don't use them myself. So he says, go on the back, scratch that off, and send me a picture of the numbers. Okay, so I do. Later that same day, Brown received another email asking her to go back and get an additional $700 worth of stream cards. And I looked at it and I thought, this is just getting really weird. It's too much running around. It's just weird. Like he's, he's asking a lot for somebody. Maybe this is a test on how to take direction and follow through. I don't know. Just thought it was really weird. So that's what I did. And I said to the girl, so why do you, why would somebody tell me to scratch these off? And she goes, you didn't. And I went, yeah, I did. Why? And she says, these are scams. Brown has since been in contact with her visa company, Amazon and the RCMP, but says she will not be reimbursed. It was really embarrassing. Of course, I had puddles of tears coming out that day, the whole bit. Yeah, I'm a single, I'm a single woman. You know, I have a mortgage car payments. Just get a new job, getting all excited. And then this happened. So now I'm stuck with a $700 bill on my visa. RCMP say online and phone scams have become very common and are warning people to be careful. If it seems strange or too good to be true, it's a scam. RCMP say to contact your local police and report any fraud to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre if you suspect that you are being scammed. TFS Global News, Oliver. Still ahead, traveling into a new but familiar world. So I haven't seen my dad in four years, so it was great to hug him. The shifting scenes around the globe as countries move beyond their Omicron waves and pandemic restrictions. But first, what's unfolding in Ukraine as the U.S. warns of an extremely violent invasion. In a move widely expected to further inflame the standoff between Russia and Ukraine, the Kremlin has decided to recognize the independence of two separatist regions in Ukraine's east. The move is considered a violation of international law by infringing upon Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. And it follows U.S. intelligence reports that an invasion could now be just hours away. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. Prepped and primed by his own parliament, Russia's president has decided that rebel-held regions in East Ukraine should be recognized. Putin saying modern Ukraine was created by Russia. It comes hours after separatist leaders made the request. Putin, nostalgic for the once Russian empire, blamed the USSR's downfall for robbing it of territory. Recognition could help install puppet governments to destabilize Ukraine and provide near-immediate Russian military support. Every effort aimed at diplomatic solution is worth trying. President Biden has been meeting with his top security advisors while European leaders were doing the same as Putin spoke. 
an indication that time might have run out to use politics to tamp down the crisis. We're prepared to respond decisively if Russia moves on Ukraine. Putin's decision on Monday and the ongoing escalation with new military deployments paint a bleak portrait. This Ukrainian soldier saying rebels are shooting everywhere at the front. The Russian talking point is that Ukraine's behavior is provocative, even with evidence suggesting separatists are repeatedly violating ceasefire agreements. We believe that there are good reasons, good and legitimate reasons to impose at least some of the sanctions now. Russia's move to partition Ukraine violates international law and could lead to devastating financial consequences. That would have a dramatic impact uh, on on Russia's economy and Russia's ability to, to administer its own finances. Russia has already announced it will send troops into eastern Ukraine under the guise of a peacekeeping mission, a potential phased approach to invasion. Sanctions have been announced by the U.S. with broader global financial measures expected this week. It comes amid new concerns, not just in Ukraine, but other former Soviet states, with Vladimir Putin on Monday calling their independence, quote, madness. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters tonight, a look at the changes we're seeing around the world as the Omicron peak passes. From lifting travel restrictions to changing isolation requirements, various countries are changing how they respond to COVID-19. Global's Sean Preville reports. People in England who test positive for COVID-19 will no longer have to self-isolate starting Thursday. Prime Minister Boris Johnson made the announcement Monday as he scrapped the last remaining COVID-19 domestic restrictions for England. So let us learn to live with this virus and continue protecting ourselves and others without restricting our freedoms. The government says it still plans to keep some contingency measures in place should another variant surface. Johnson says while he does not want people throwing caution to the wind, with a high vaccination rate, the government is pushing a mandate of personal responsibility instead of proof of vaccination. Testing is also changing. As of April, only older people and the immunocompromised will be able to access free lab PCR tests. Rapid tests will also only be available at a price. Britain's opposition leader feels the measures leave the country vulnerable. The Prime Minister promised to present a plan for living with COVID. But all we've got today is yet more chaos and disarray. Thousands of kilometres away, tears of joy were flowing in Australia as it fully reopened its borders to vaccinated tourists, reuniting families and friends. For Lauren Potter from the US, it was a long time coming. So I haven't seen my dad in four years, so it was great to hug him and all the little welcome presents just make me feel at home. It's really special. New Zealand will also reopen its borders to some vaccinated travelers next month. And Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern signaled Monday the lifting of vaccine mandates and other measures once the Omicron peak has passed. And in Israel, Visitors will be able to enter as long as they get two PCR tests, regardless of their vaccination status. A coming change as countries move out of their Omicron waves and try to shift to an endemic state of living with the virus. Sean Prevel, Global News. Still ahead, making hockey games more comfortable and inclusive. The music could really set them off. The lights, the, the horns, the bells, even smells too. Autism better handle all the otherwise overwhelming aspects of being in the arena. But first, the new travel trend taking hold amid pandemic pent-up demand for quality time with the family. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
All right, meteorologist Yvonne Shell is back for a look at the full forecast, and it's a little deceiving out there. It looks beautiful, <laughs> but as soon as you step outside, you realize how cold it is. Yeah, keep that parka handy, mm -hmm. especially for back to work in school in the early morning hours. That's key for heading out with the wind chill. We'll be feeling into the minus teens, and we've got strong outfall winds that will continue over the next few days. So those temperatures right across the province, we've got Arctic air that is invading all areas. We're currently sitting at 2 degrees. It's a bit breezy out there. The wind's southeasterly at 30 kilometers per hour, but overnight, and continuing for tomorrow, we could see gusts closer to 40 kilometers per hour. So overnight tonight, temperatures will be down to minus 4. But when you factor in the wind chill, it's feeling closer to minus 10 and even colder for areas extending into the Fraser Valley. And a bit of a blip for the Fraser Valley. The early morning hours could even see a few isolated flurries and then more of a clearing is on the way towards the afternoon. By tomorrow afternoon, though, most areas across Metro Vancouver only getting up to 2 degrees. We're well below the average for this time of the year so that sits closer to 9 a few flurries also for higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes. Not much in terms of accumulation, but continuing to see very gusty winds for tomorrow. And then clearing as we get in through the afternoon. And we've got a nice ridge of high pressure that is going to build in across the province. We can see that on the future cast. So tomorrow morning, a bit of more cloud cover for the southern interior breaks through the afternoon. The next weather maker that is bringing snow along the north and central coast will start to develop as early as Wednesday. Extreme cold warning remains in effect. Now the key areas, the northeastern corners for the piece, the wind chill at minus 40 and then through the day feeling closer to minus 30. So the wind chill forecast once again will continue to see it early morning hours on Tuesday and leading in towards our Wednesday as well. The extreme cold for the northeastern corners of the province, plenty of sunshine for the central interior, southern interior, a few flurries and then clearing on the way towards the afternoon. We could see that for the Fraser Valley as well, but do bundle up. We've got windy conditions, the wind chills into the minus teens, but plenty of sunshine in our long range over the next few and then gradually warming up towards the end of the week. Tonight's weather window is a fantastic shot. You've got to look closely, a double rainbow that was captured in Pit Meadows by Sharon Nithu. Oh, gorgeous. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, whether outdoors or indoors escaping the cold, while British Columbians celebrate Family Day, it seems many are planning to spend more times, more time rather, with their loved ones. As Catherine Urquhart reports, this is leading to a trend in multi-generational vacations and bucket list trips. <laughs> At Vancouver International Airport, three generations prepare to board a flight. Together, they are going on a very special and meaningful trip. We're going on a religious trip. We're going to Saudi, and we're excited for that. More than two years into the pandemic, as restrictions ease, trips with extended family are becoming a noticeable trend, according to one travel expert. We call them multi-generational family trips, and they are really popular at the moment. I guess people are looking to spend more time with people that they love. That desire to spend time with those we care about and take a vacation, perhaps not surprising. We've all been separated in this past two years in the pandemic. And what has happened is, um, you know, it has created anxiety in people. And if we can... Uh, connect with our loved ones and spend some time, this actually will help our mood and our well-being. It's good for our mental health. Also impacting families wanting to get away, Canada lifting its non-essential travel advisory and PCR test requirement at border crossings February 28th for those fully vaccinated. If they were going for seven days usually, maybe they're going for nine or ten. And they're putting on some real bucket lists trips. People realize that time time passes. Of course, 
Travelers will still need to take precautions and follow restrictions wherever they go. It's a good thing. We're happy. We're happy as long as you know you you follow the rules and wear your mask. Making memories with loved ones clearly a priority for many in the days ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, we've got our sights set on travel, and Squire's got his sights set on some lounging. Yeah, well, this this position <laughs> where the camera yeah. is, I can't help but lounge now. <laughs> It's the only way to do it. So if I, if I nap halfway through this, it's not my fault. Well, you deserve a break. You've been working hard in your sports cast all Thank day. You. What do you have coming up for us? Uh, well, it's important <laughs> for the Vancouver Canucks uh, to know what time the game is tonight against Seattle because on Saturday against the Ducks, it appeared the Canucks didn't know what time the game started. You know, you don't want to get behind the eight ball again, and we've been getting behind the eight ball and too many times. Yes, that was Bruce Boudreaux's message today at practice. You have to be at the rink in both body and spirit. <laughs> Good advice. Also ahead, the new program scoring its goal of making hockey games more welcoming for fans dealing with sensory overload. All right, Squire's back for the full sports cast and a big game tonight, Squire. That's right, exactly, at Rogers Arena. And it's yet to really be a heated rivalry with Seattle and the Canucks. Seattle's in town tonight to face Vancouver. One day, I think these games will see a lot more hate. But right now, how can you dislike the Kraken? They have nice uniforms and they usually lose. Can't hate that. One of the problems for Seattle, and they have many, is they don't seem to get off to good starts, which has kind of been the problem lately at times for the Canucks. It was a topic of conversation at practice this morning after another dreadful beginning in their last game against Anaheim. Here's a long shot, tipped in, Troy Terry on a deflection. Derek Grant centers, they score, and the Ducks with another goal. Bruce Boudreaux has his own thoughts on why the Canucks are getting off to slow starts at Rogers Arena. Boudreaux believes it goes beyond family responsibilities at home. As an old-school hockey guy, Bruce isn't big on the boys just showing up at the rink and flipping the player switch into game mode. Sometimes I feel that our guys at home, um, you know, just come to the rink and then they put their skates on and they go, okay, let's play. Where I've always believed that the day of a game is a whole day preparation getting ready you got to do your pregame skate right you got to eat at the right time you get your nap everything is good so you're focused on the game and, and the game only you got to be ready uh, at the drop of the first puck because it's too tough to chase the game all night long there's another goal and the islanders have scored twice in 18 seconds. Starting slow wasn't new to the Canucks. They struggled getting ahead in games under Travis Green, but rarely have we seen sluggish, poor efforts like the ones we've witnessed of late at Rogers Arena. For a team that says it's all in when it comes to chasing down a playoff spot, it's time for actions to speak louder than words. You know, we, we really preach to have good starts and be prepared, but I think mentally you got to you know, convince yourself you're going to be skating to start the game and you're going to be physically engaged. And I think if we do that, you know, we'll probably have the most success. You have to be, you have to be in the battle and outwill the other team and win your one-on-ones and make smart decisions with the puck. And it's, it's really the same recipe year-round no matter who we're playing. You know, I take a lot of pride in that, so I expect that we're going to turn the page and have a good game today. 
Well, earlier today, Jacob Marksham and the Flames won again. Ten straight wins for Calgary. That ties a team record. Sean Monaghan gave him the one nothing lead against Winnipeg. Dominic Toninato would tie it with the deflection. But uh, that's the only goal Winnipeg would get. Late in the game, Elias Lindholm, who has now scored an eight straight, that proved to be the winner. Calgary will be in Vancouver on Thursday with that 10-game win streak. Uh, Giants and Royals this afternoon in Langley. Tyler Palmer and Victoria in town. And this is Bailey Peach. Four on three with the goal. Palmer made 35 saves in this game for the shutout as Victoria wins it 3-0 on the road. A couple of other games involving BC teams to tell you about. Kamloops with a win over Everett and Kelowna beat Tri-City. Well, it took over nine months to find out who won the fastest two minutes in sports. But today, the people who run the Kentucky Derby disqualified last year's winner, Spirit, for having illegal drugs in his system. And the second place finisher, Mandaloon, is now the winner. Although the owners of Medina Spirit are expected to appeal this decision as well, his trainer, Bob Baffert, will appeal a 90-day suspension he received for the same incident. Bob Baffert has argued the steroid that was found in a post-race test got into Medina Spirit's system accidentally through an ointment. Now, interestingly enough, as far as betting is concerned, the original order of finish stands. So if you bet Mandaloon to win, you still lose your bet, even though he has now been declared the winner. And we should say, sadly, Medina Spirit died suddenly after a workout last December no illegal drugs were found in his system, and it may have been a heart issue that caused his death. You want to see something amazing? Virginia high school wrestler Adonis Lattimore, born without legs, makes history on the weekend by winning the Virginia State Wrestling Championship in the 106-pound division. He also has just one finger on his right hand. His record this season, 32 and seven. That is incredible. Well done. He is a champ. There you go. That puts so much into perspective. Incredible. Thanks so much, Squire. And next, the NHL assist that can help fans feel more comfortable and confident attending games. Stay with us. All right, Squire's back for the full sports cast and a big game tonight, Squire. That's right. Exactly. At Rogers Arena. And it's yet to really be a heated rivalry with Seattle and the Canucks. Seattle's in town tonight to face Vancouver. One day, I think these games will see a lot more hate. But right now, how can you dislike the Kraken? They have nice uniforms, and they usually lose. Can't hate that. One of the problems for Seattle, and they have many, is they don't seem to get off to good starts, which has kind of been the problem lately at times for the Canucks. It was a topic of conversation at practice this morning after another dreadful beginning in their last game against Anaheim. Here's a long shot, tipped in, Troy Terry on a deflection. Derek Grant centers, they score, and the Ducks with another goal. Bruce Boudreaux has his own thoughts on why the Canucks are getting off to slow starts at Rogers Arena. Boudreaux believes it goes beyond family responsibilities at home. As an old school hockey guy, Bruce isn't big on the boys just showing up at the rink and flipping the player switch into game mode. Sometimes I feel that our guys at home, um, you know, just come to the rink and then they put their skates on and they go, okay, let's play. 
where I've always believed that the day of a game is a whole day preparation, getting ready. You got to do your pregame skate right. You got to eat at the right time. You get your nap. Everything is good, so you're focused on the game and, and the game only. You got to be ready uh, at the drop of the first puck because it's too tough to chase the game all night long. He centers the puck. They score. There's another goal, and the Islanders have scored twice in 18 seconds. Starting slow isn't new to the Canucks. They struggled getting ahead in games under Travis Green, but rarely have we seen sluggish, poor efforts like the ones we've witnessed of late at Rogers Arena. For a team that says it's all in when it comes to chasing down a playoff spot, it's time for actions to speak louder than words. You know, we, we really preach to have good starts and be prepared, but I think mentally you got to... You know, convince yourself you're going to be skating to start the game and you're going to be physically engaged. And I think if we do that, you know, we'll probably have the most success. You have to be, you have to be in the battle and outwill the other team and win your one-on-ones and make smart decisions with the puck. And it's, it's really the same recipe year-round no matter who we're playing. You know, I take a lot of pride in that, so I expect that we're going to turn the page and have a good game today. Well, earlier today, Jake and Markstrom and the Flames won again. Ten straight wins for Calgary. That ties a team record. Sean Monaghan gave him the one nothing lead against Winnipeg. Dominic Toninato would tie it with a deflection. But uh, that's the only goal Winnipeg would get. Late in the game, Elias Lindholm, who has now scored an eight straight. That proved to be the winner. Calgary will be in Vancouver on Thursday with that 10-game win streak. Uh, Giants and Royals this afternoon in Langley. Tyler Palmer and Victoria in town. And this is Bailey Peach. Four on three with the goal. Palmer made 35 saves in this game for the shutout as Victoria wins it 3-0 on the road. A couple of other games involving BC teams to tell you about. Kamloops with a win over Everett and Kelowna beat Tri-City. Well, it took over nine months to find out who won the fastest two minutes in sports. But today, the people who run the Kentucky Derby disqualified last year's winner, Spirit, for having illegal drugs in his system. And the second place finisher, Mandaloon, is now the winner. Although the owners of Medina Spirit are expected to appeal this decision as well, his trainer, Bob Baffert, will appeal a 90-day suspension he received for the same incident. Bob Baffert has argued the steroid that was found in a post-race test got into Medina Spirit's system accidentally through an ointment. Now, interestingly enough, as far as betting is concerned, the original order of finish stands. So if you bet Mandaloon to win, you still lose your bet, even though he has now been declared the winner. And we should say, sadly, Medina Spirit died suddenly after a workout last December no illegal drugs were found in his system, and it may have been a heart issue that caused his death. You want to see something amazing? Virginia high school wrestler Adonis Lattimore, born without legs, makes history on the weekend by winning the Virginia State Wrestling Championship in the 106-pound division. He also has just one finger on his right hand. His record this season, 32 and seven. That is incredible. Well done. He is a champ. There you go. That puts so much into perspective. Incredible. Thanks so much, Squire. And next, the NHL assist that can help fans feel more comfortable and confident attending games. Stay with us. 
A new program at the Saddle Dome in Calgary is giving a big assist to people who may find the game day experience a little overwhelming. Global's Cami Kepke has the details. The things that make a game exciting for many fans are often the same things that make the spectacle of sports overwhelming for others. The music could really set them off. The lights, um, you know, the horns, the bells, all the kind of, it even smells too for them. That's why Cadet LaBarbara and Paige Dowd have designed sensory kits aimed at making people who are neurodivergent or on the autism spectrum feel more secure at sporting events. It's something that hits close to home for both women. Dowd is a trained autism therapist whose husband Nick plays for the Washington Capitals. Cadet and Flames goalie coach Jason LaBarbara's son, Ryder, was diagnosed with autism when he was three. With Jason's career, we always had the safety of a wives' room, and I could stay there with Ryder if it was too overwhelming, but obviously everybody who's coming to a game doesn't have that, that backup plan. You know, just the ability to help um, people with any kind of sensory disorders, autism, um, anxiety, just to stay a little bit longer and kind of enjoy the things that their families enjoy and they may want to enjoy, but they just can't tolerate the, the stimulation. The assist kits include noise-canceling headphones, sunglasses, fidget toys, and a storybook explaining what to expect at a game, from security to anthems to cheering. We had some kids helping us on the team. Lucic's kids did the drawings there for us. And of course, Ryder was ready to share his feedback. What else you got? We got some shades. <laughs> Do you like shades? Yes. LaBarbara says preparation and confidence can make once unbearable experiences much more comfortable. Ryder now knows it's a safe place and he's okay with the anthem now because he knows what to expect. And we really wanted to help integrate and, you know, keep families going to games and making sure everybody knows it's for everyone. The Flames have already gone through their first order of sensory kits and have restocked for the rest of the season. The assist kits are being used in five other NHL cities, including Edmonton and Vancouver, as well as major league events like the All-Star Game and Stadium Series. Cami Kepke, Global Sports. Oh, what a great initiative. Hopefully that makes the game day experience easier for those at Rogers Arena as well. Uh, many at that arena tonight for the game uh, hopefully will be bundled up on their way over, Yvonne. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for the early morning hours, back to work and school tomorrow for many. Wind chill into the minus teens. And we'll continue to see that Wednesday, potentially Thursday, and then more of an improvement later on in the week. Very windy conditions, strong outflow winds. Uh, so be prepared. It's going to be very chilly over the next few. Yeah, don't be deceived. It might look really no. nice outside your window. But. You'll need the shades and then your parka too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you very much, Yvonne and Squire. And thank you all for sharing some of your night with us. Have a great family day night.